Welcome to Better Money, a show that points an x-ray at folks driving capital and driving change, people working for better money. I'm Noelle Brown, and I come from the for-profit world. And I'm Jefferson Smith, and I come from the nonprofit world. We're joined today by Ashley Henry, Executive Director of Business for a Better Portland, a mission-driven organization supporting equitable access to capital, transportation, affordable housing in our city. BBPDX members collaborate with community leaders and elected officials to work on Portland's pressing issues. Welcome, Ashley. Thank you. Thanks, Jefferson. Thanks, Noel. So can you tell us a little bit more about BBPDX? Like, what's the history? What's been the most challenging thing recently? Just kind of give us a sense of what Better Business Portland does. So it's very funny that you just said that because Better Business Portland is what people stumble into saying all the time. And we're, this afternoon, we're actually doing a video on that, um, we're going to have a, a blooper kind of video nice. uh, to try to get people to um, talk about that we are business for a better Portland because we are bringing together businesses to create a better Portland. And the genesis of the organization was actually a group of entrepreneurs, mostly from the technology sector, who wanted to get involved in civic issues outside mm -hmm. the structure of their day-to-day -day business operations. And they knew that they, as business owners, had important uh, social and political capital to weigh in um, on policy and other community affairs. But they didn't have... Um, you know, a vice president of government affairs on their staff. Um, and so they wanted to create a mechanism that would allow entrepreneurs and business owners of small to medium-sized companies who don't have that kind of resource on their team mm -hmm. to leverage that social and political capital on the issues that were affecting them, those affecting their employees and their families. And so they started um, an organization to, to solve for that challenge. So question, why didn't you go with BFAB Portland? That is a very good question. And it's so interesting that you raise that because literally like two days ago, someone pointed out that if we actually used the um, acronym that BFAB Portland would be it. Yep. Um, Thank you for reminding me of that. <laughs> this I, is the kind of stuff that happens on the show. We're here to right. help. You're yeah. welcome. Be fab, Portland. Be fab, Portland. Yeah. It's way better. <laughs> it is so much better. Unless, Less confusing. It, it, uh, for that reason, yeah. I would, we wouldn't get the order wrong. <laughs> right. And this way, I think it might be a little Star Wars toy. There's a chance that the current acronym is a little android that rolls around and his head somehow stays on top, even though his roly-poly body roly-polies around the sand. <laughs> Ah, uh, I'm starting to see that picture in my mind. Thank you, Jefferson. All right. So the general business organization, the mm -hmm. business advocacy organization, I think the uh, small business advocacy organization, the uh, big business advocacy organization, what mm -hmm. makes what you're doing different from what most people think of mm -hmm. when they think of, the, you know, their Better Business Bureau or right. their uh, or, or their Chamber of Commerce? Sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Most 
business organizations are brought together um, to do, you know, something pretty straightforward, you know, look out for their members when it comes to taxes and regulations, right? Uh, and most of the, and, and then to help them grow their companies, right? So there there's a lot of internal networking and promotion, and um, there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. Mm-hmm. Um what our members said is, we know that we can't do business. We won't have a successful business if we're not doing business in a successful community. Mm. And so in order for my business to thrive, we need to make sure we're actually living and operating in a thriving community. And because I, business owner, or I, employee of business with 60 to 100 employees, uh, care about the transportation system that gets me to work, that gets the workforce to work, because I want that transportation system to be safe Mm -hmm. and equitable and to not be contributing to climate change, I can be involved Mm -hmm. as a business person in helping our uh, local, regional, state decision makers Mm -hmm. uh, to develop that safe and equitable transportation system. Uh, So that's just one example. Um, is there an actual kind of uh, bill that was put into place? Is, is that a recent project that was successful? Can you give us an example yeah. more specifically? Well, to be perfectly honest, there are um, so many different pathways that businesses could be involved in public policy that um, it can be really overwhelming, which is, I think, one of the reasons why a lot of people step away from Mm -hmm. advocacy, uh, because they think, you know, this is just too complicated. I'm never going to understand why this agency and that agency are doing this, that, and the other thing, and they throw their hands up. And so the, the founders of our organization did something very... Um, insightful, which was they recognized that they needed to create an organization that would work for someone just like themselves, Mm -hmm. a busy business owner. And so they distilled um, regular monthly calls to action into a really concrete ask. And admittedly, not any one of those requests to a a busy business owner is going to revolutionize the transportation system. But there might be a way in which 50 business owners signing on to a letter Mm -hmm. to uh, the city council about dedicated bus lanes and the need for more efficient bus transit Mm -hmm. in order to get workforce to their jobs on time and not stuck in traffic. That's just one opportunity for civic engagement. That is what we call a a civic engagement muscle building exercise, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. So a year from now or a year and a half from now, when hopefully metro regional government actually has a transportation package on the ballot, our members will have been involved in much smaller digestible opportunities for civic engagement over the course of the last two and a half years so that when that big lift comes Mm -hmm. for something like a multi-billion dollar transportation package, we've been um, cultivating our team Mm -hmm. of athletes, if you will, our athletes in advocacy, um, to be involved in something big. But you can't go from from, uh, no engagement to engagement on the big regional issues overnight. You really have to build Mm -hmm. the momentum over time. I think about the name confusion as almost an explainer of at least how I understand the mission of the organization. And you can correct me where I misunderstand Mm -hmm. the mission of the organization. Mm -hmm. So if I see a, think about a typical chamber of commerce, 
I think about it as a group of people who get together to advocate for their shared self-interest. Mm-hmm. Let's do things together that we might not be able to do separately so that we can improve in the near term our bottom line. Mm-hmm. As I've understood, and that could be called an association for better business because the mm-hmm. point is to make business better. That's right. As I understand your organization, it's a little flip. Mm-hmm. It is uh, an effort to uh, advocate for maybe the public interest or at least a longer term or a broader picture. Might we even say enlightened self-interest? And that's why it's, as I understand it, not just for better business, but business for a better community, for better mm-hmm. human beings, for mm-hmm. a better place. Where am I missing mm-hmm. it? Where am I getting it right? I think that's a very good overall assessment. I would I would say that there is certainly enlightened self-interest that's involved, but there's also direct self-interest. When I think about the CEO of Cloudability, uh, which is a a technology company that recently um, uh, got acquired, was going down to Salem with us, the CEO said, your lack of investment in the education system is costing me talent. And talent, recruitment, and retention is the biggest obstacle to the growth of my business. And if my very well-paid engineer chooses to leave Oregon because she doesn't see a place for her child in the school system and they choose to go to a different state or even another country, that is you are affecting my business. Mm -hmm. And so, yes, enlightened self-interest, absolutely. There is a component of that, but I think it's just a broadening of the lens of how do you look at what it means to be good for business, right? If you're only thinking about that bottom line um, every month and you're not thinking about the fact that if your employee is walking outside the door at five o'clock and there's someone experiencing a mental health crisis that ter- terrifies that employee who's not able to come back to work the next day because we have disinvested from our mental health care budgets, that becomes a business issue. It's very much a business issue. And what we have tended to do, I think, is push that responsibility onto government And yet we see what's happening at the federal and state levels. Those budgets are not improving. They're only getting worse. And so I think our businesses, our members are saying, we have to all get into this together. It's it's up to us to figure out how to collaborate and and uh, be complementary to the work that our government leaders are doing and recognize that the problems are so significant that we all have to partner. We can't just um, be antagonistic to one another. Well, that's what this show is all about, Mm -hmm. is who is using um, capital or influence or any kind of lever for change in a way that embetters um, the society Mm -hmm. as a whole. And what you're saying is that these businesses that belong to your membership are recognizing that they may have their own lever as a politically active individual, mm-hmm. but they could also have a lever mm-hmm. as a politically active Absolutely. business as well. Yeah. One of the um, most interesting stories from the early days of our organization back in the day when I could actually physically go to thank the new member, uh, I went to a, a bike shop on Northeast Alberta. And I was chatting with her and thanking her for coming on um, Gladys Bikes, if you haven't checked it out. She's so, Leah is an amazing person. And she said, um, 
You know, I never knew that when I was starting my company that mm-hmm. I was being given the, the keys to a secret kingdom that I didn't know existed. Wow. She said, now that I'm a business owner, mm. everybody cares what I think. Mm. And I think a lot of business owners start to realize that after they've become a business owner. And yet that's not the reason that they became a business owner. Mm-hmm. They became a business owner because they had a passion about a particular product or a particular service. Mm-hmm. And they're leveraging that skill. And then what do you know? I have political and social capital, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but I don't know how to spend it. I don't know how to influence the president of the Metro Council Mm -hmm. to say, I really want to make sure that when my grandchildren grow up in this region, that that we as a region have started to address climate change and that we're not investing in, you know, more freeway lanes, but instead in transit that's going to get my kids, my grandkids to school and to work safely, efficiently Mm -hmm. and without contributing to greenhouse gas emissions. And that is very difficult thing to figure out if you're really busy trying to figure out how to run payroll. Yeah. And um, I think one of the biggest lessons um, for for this from the last two and a half years, you know, because I came from a my background was in advocacy, mm-hmm. and oftentimes business gets very demonized mm. by advocates for social and economic justice. And there's good reason for that in some, certainly some instances. But some of the most passionate and caring people that I have met um, in the last two and a half years have been business owners. Mm. And they feel so passionate about mm. making payroll, making sure that they are fairly paying their employees so that those employees can save for their kids' college and that they're you know, developing policies that enable them to offer more and more benefits. And they these people really care. Mm-hmm. And um, the last thing they have to time to do when that's all said and done is figure out the most strategic way to weigh in on rental assistance to prevent homelessness, mm-hmm. right? Like, it's just not, they just don't have the, the time left. Right. What's the hardest set of issues for you to weigh in on? It seems to me that if somebody says, well, I want to do something about housing and homelessness. Mm-hmm. Well, one solution to that is to tax high income earners. Mm-hmm. Uh, if one challenge you want to address is climate change, one solution to that is set a set of either green taxes or regulatory requirements and restrictions on economic actors. Uh, how do you wrestle with, uh, well, uh, let me first say, what are the hardest set of questions for you and how do you wrestle with them? Mm-hmm. And do you wrestle with them just by Selection. It's like, oh, you, you you need to believe the following set of things to be a part of this, mm-hmm. or do you end up just doing well? Ultimately, if what you want to do is uh, token stuff to impact climate change, mm-hmm. it impacts hom- homelessness, mm-hmm. uh, but stuff that doesn't really raise taxes or doesn't change the regulatory structure, that's what we'll prioritize. How do you wrestle? What's the hardest thing? And how do you wrestle with it? Well, I think one of the things that has um, been uh, a part of our organization from the very beginning is the humility to know that we don't have the answers, but um, that there are a lot of people in the community who do. There are experts uh, in our community on every deep concern that our members have, whether that's homelessness, the lack of affordable housing, the need for more safer and cleaner transportation, the need for a more comprehensive approach to economic development that delivers good community outcomes. There are people, leaders in our community, elected leaders, nonprofit leaders, civic volunteers who have those answers. And our job is to 
develop trusted relationships with those organizations and leaders, get to know what they see as the priorities that have been informed by the listening that they've been doing to the community, and then to formulate a strategy just for our own organization, not for everyone, but just for our own organization to say, this is the most strategic and um, efficient and thoughtful way that we can be additive to um, what the org- what other organizations are already doing. So you listen to folks, and there's mm-hmm. experts out there. Mm-hmm. But but give me a hard example of where they said, oh, well, what really should happen is we should tax blank, and that mm-hmm. blank includes a bunch of your members. What's mm-hmm. a hard example you faced? Or maybe you've avoided any hard examples, and so everything's been easy. We haven't. I wouldn't say we've avoided hard, exam- hard examples. I would say that the low-hanging fruit for Um, or our organization to engage our members. Keep in mind that these are, the vast majority of our members have never been involved in civic issues as business leaders. I'm sure that many of them have been involved as as individuals uh, in the community. But it's not um, a particularly good strategy to ask your very new member to do something super, super hard if you want them to keep coming back. And that's not just like from a revenue standpoint. This is from a a social change perspective. We have to give people some early wins to show them that your voice can make a difference. So the bus lane example, that was not revolutionary, right? It was something that the city was already prioritizing, but there was no one from the business community saying this is important for not just for climate and safety reasons, but this is actually important for business because if my employee is, you know, if I have employee, a workforce that has to clock in at eight o'clock and they're stuck on the number four, you know, at 60th and division still, that's a problem. That's a business problem. And so for us to be able to bring that will then allow us to do the more difficult thing. So the next time it was a bike, you know, bike lanes that are going to remove parking. Well, next year it's going to be bus lanes that remove parking. So I would say to your question, uh, Jefferson, is and that 150 we're, we're, years will do something about carbon emissions. It's scary. I mean, I, I think that uh, and that I am not um, I am not advocating for an incrementalist approach to those big changes. I am simply saying this is the lane that my organization is in right now. These are the um, nodes of political and social capital that I am fortunate enough to be working with right now. And the way to get them involved is to not scare them off by asking them to do something too hard, too fast. No, it's a hard thing. It seems like yeah. a really hard thing to yeah. navigate. And, and, then, and then how do you mm-hmm. balance that with... Uh, what differentiates what you're doing from something the regular Chamber of yep. Commerce could have been well, doing for the last 100 years? I'll, I'll give you a perfect example. Um, last year, the Portland Clean Energy Fund was on the, the Portland Clean Energy Initiative was on the ballot. And uh, we already knew that we were going to go through a process of endorsing or considering an endorsement of the affordable housing, the regional affordable housing bond. But we didn't we had not worked with the communities of color that had advanced um, that particular um, initiative. Um, we certainly knew people, but in, in terms of an organizational relationship, we had not developed that yet. And we were asked by them to consider endorsing the ballot measure. And so we put it out to the um, membership and said, this is something that we're going to have a work group on. We're going to have a study session. And we invite you to come if you want to weigh in on this issue. And I was really nervous 
because um, we were only a year and a half old at that point, and we had been talking a lot about our commitment to equity and our um, desire to diversify our membership, having started with 10 white men and one white woman. Um, Were you the white woman or it was someone no, else? No, it was yeah. someone, yeah. Um, so I was really nervous. And um, I was so impressed at how my membership responded. Now, I'm not suggesting that everybody in that room that day, 30 of the 275 members we had by that time, um, I, it, that it was fully representative of that membership. Um, but those were the people who thought it was important enough to come out and take two hours to hear pro and con. And at the end of the day, it wasn't, it was interesting, it wasn't the, um, it wasn't the concerns about climate change that really drove our endorsement, not to say that we didn't think that that was important. But what was most important to our members who were in that room that day was the fact that a coalition of people from the community who have historically not only been marginalized, but have repeatedly been discriminated against and have had opportunities taken away from them, um, were taking a proactive stance to say this is one way that we can at least attempt to bring resources to our community and create some economic opportunity and mobility for our community. And how can we say no to that? Mm-hmm. And so our entire endorsement actually ended up being framed um, specifically around the equity case, right? And so I was expecting a lot of backlash through the fall and expecting that we would um, get caught up in a he, he said, she said, because the other leading business organization in the community was very opposed to it and, um, you know, raising a lot of money to fight it. And I'm just so glad that didn't happen because I think it could have really um, put us in a, into a dialogue that was unproductive and would have distracted from what we were really doing, which is saying, hey, we have a lot of people of privilege in this that we represent in this organization, and they recognize that we have to start somewhere in terms of rectifying those wrongs. And what the policy did specifically was what? Create a create a fund which was fed into by a fee on what property owners, business owners to then pay for uh, revamping of energy systems and sustainability systems. Ex- explain briefly the policy, because this sounds like, by the way, the kind of hard thing the mm-hmm. kind of hard, that I was asking about. They got a mm-hmm. hard, potentially hard issue mm-hmm. that you were able to make right. a resolved issue. Right. Yeah. So, um, <coughs> I'm a little out of practice talking about that particular measure, so I'll version. bump I'll bump along here. But the um, the upshot is that it um, has a, it's a surcharge on businesses that have a next. It's a it's a very important description uh, or a different um, important segment of the business community that has both. $500 million in revenue in the city of Portland, as well as at least a billion dollars in revenue at the national level. So you, you have to meet both of those in order to be potentially subject to the surcharge. And there is ongoing evaluation going on right now 
about what constitutes a retail business. So um, some of this information by the time you produce this may not be factually accurate, so you'll want to double check it. Um, but the city revenue office is currently evaluating exactly what kinds of companies. But you're talking some of the biggest um, and uh, most profitable companies that do business in the city of Portland. Um, surcharge on, on some of the largest businesses in Portland to fund? To fund programs, uh, economic development opportunities, business opportunities for companies uh, in Portland uh, that would create both clean energy as well as energy efficiency. So companies that do retrofits to um, make sure that homes are energy efficient and that low-income homeowners or renters are not paying for energy to go out the door and out the window. Um, and then also companies that would create um, local renewable energy. I'm going to pivot yeah, and sure. love the examples, love going deep in terms of the work that the organization and the membership do. But um, I want to know a little bit more about you, Ashley Henry. I want to know, how did you even get into this work? I want to know, what's your origin story? Well, I'm originally from Arkansas. My father was a cotton uh, ginner and a cotton and soybean farmer. Um, and I was fortunate enough to uh, grow up in a family that um, was able to send me to a really amazing university. And I got to go to Georgetown University, um, for which I'm very grateful. Um, and I was uh, very disheartened by what I saw um, when I was in those circles of privilege. Um, and a lot of students uh, with, you know, children of diplomats and um, oil executives. And I was really much more interested in environmental policy and thought that maybe I could find uh, a better home for myself on the other coast. And so I left and uh, came out to uh, Eugene to go to graduate school in environmental policy. And my goal was never to be um, a specialist of any kind. Um, I wanted to ensure that I had an economic underpinning for the policies that I was advocating for. So I took a lot of economics with Ed Whitelaw, who's a renowned economist that started Echo Northwest here in the in the Northwest in Portland. And um, so I worked a lot in environmental campaigns for many years and then um, realized that uh, I wasn't um, having enough impact because no matter how much uh, good work we did on the environmental policy front, um, there was always uh, an elected official who ultimately got to make that call. And uh, so I was working on a campaign in 2002 where I met this tall, blonde guy who was registering voters and uh, ended up getting involved in lots of things in the Portland area. <laughs> and, uh, and so I've been in Portland for the last uh, 16 years. Wonderful. And I have always worked on environmental and more recently affordable housing policy mm -hmm. advocacy really believe in the power of, of business. Wonderful. So help define success for you and for BFAB Portland. BFAB Portland. <laughs> this is so great. Stick. Oh my gosh, it totally is. Uh, so what, is, what does better money look like for you mm. and for the organization? 
I want our members to feel that they have found a way to not only grow their businesses and have economic success, but that they also feel that they have been able to have an impact on the direction of our city and our region, mm-hmm. um, that we see our elected leaders taking more progressive approaches to everything from the way we address homelessness to the way we plan our transportation systems and the way we develop our economic development strategies. And that that is supported very um, enthusiastically by our membership and that our membership has developed uh, a capacity to be more engaged with those elected leaders. You know, one of the, um, I think one of the most interesting things about bringing these new business leaders to the offices of elected officials is that that's not who they're, they're not used to seeing them. Mm-hmm. And it's it's actually really heartening to the elected official also mm-hmm. To say, oh, you're so busy running a business and yet you're willing to take time away Mm -hmm. in order to make sure that I hear that these issues matter to you. Mm -hmm. Um, It's it's very refreshing. And I think that there can be a very positive feedback loop Mm -hmm. uh, because as as that is appreciated, uh, I think that we will continue to grow and and grow in our influence. So what's been the hardest part? What's been kind of like an epic fail moment for you in this journey? I think figuring out ways to articulate the value of our work, right? Because unlike a traditional, a conventional business that has uh, a line item Mm -hmm. in their budget for memberships and... uh, charitable giving or I mean it's interesting actually learning how different business businesses categorize those expenditures some some businesses categorize it as marketing and others mm. um, not so much and we don't really fit well mm. in anybody's line items right because if if that if that spend is intended to directly lower your taxes and regulations the value proposition is pretty straightforward. If the spend is to ensure that two years from now, when that employee walks out the door, there is a uh, an app that everyone in Portland has that tells you exactly who to call and what to do when you see someone experiencing a mental health emergency, and that as a result of that existing in the community, you have better employee recruitment and retention because your uh, employees aren't afraid to work in that neighborhood, that's that's very difficult to articulate the value mm. of. And when someone is operating, whether they like it or not, on quarterly reports or annual reports to their investors, it's tough. So unless you're in a position as a you know very charismatic CEO who's got a lot of uh, ability to make call the shots, it's difficult to make the case for those for those membership dues. You and I spoke before about the, a map or an infograph. Mm-hmm. You know that the systems that um, 
you're working within and the framework necessary to affect change mm-hmm. is very complicated. Mm-hmm. You know, when it sounds as though companies involved in your organization are getting like the cliff notes. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. yes, they're having a difficult time mm-hmm. in terms of checking that box of what do we classify this business mm-hmm. expense as? Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's because that box is, you know, fundamentally built by short-termism and mm-hmm. and all of that. Mm-hmm. Um, but it sounds like you've been able to gather, you know, a membership that really sees beyond that limitation. Mm-hmm. Do you ever get the ask, can you create this for individuals? In terms of, I would like to be more civically engaged, but I'm just a busy person, not a busy, busy business person. <laughs> I'm just curious. That's funny. I haven't had the ask specifically for a person, but um, one of the things that we're actually thinking about is um, uh, developing a new business line for the organization that allows us to help companies to build out a more comprehensive uh, civic engagement strategy. Mm. Um, We're finding that a lot of... um, Younger people, oftentimes people who haven't lived in this community for very long, are put in the role of community manager. Mm. And not for a lack of trying or caring or smarts, they just don't know the community all that well. And um, and so we're actually proposing that folks engage us to develop a plan that's very specific to their needs. Obviously, mm. we'll, con- we'll always continue doing what we're doing um, at the at the membership wide level, but if someone wanted a more curated strategy, I guess mm-hmm. you could say um, that's something that we might be able to help with. And I and I haven't really thought about it um, at the personal level, but I think in some ways that's what philanthropic advisors do, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm, as you probably can guess, very opinionated, so I'd be happy to tell people what I think that they should do. <laughs> the and let me say, I didn't start out this way, but first of all, thank you for doing this. Mm-hmm. Uh, your work inspires me for a lot of the same reasons that Noel inspires me, and I think inspires the people we work with. You were skeptical uh, of us at the, at the beginning. Say more. Oh, I just remember the first time you asked me about it. Um, you did basically what all the other journalists that I've um, been interviewed by have done, which is to just frame it in this very binary way about, um, oh, well, so what is what does the Portland Business Alliance think of you? And um, you didn't do that in an antagonistic way, of course, yeah. because you're you were you were doing it in more of a fun, jokey way. Um, but I mean, it's that's just an unfortunately oversimplified way of looking at things. And it I, I think it it's completely understandable that someone would ask that. Don't don't get me wrong. But I do think that there is a, a a deeper, richer way to look at this, especially when you look at what's happening to our democracy. Um, that you know, the first hundred and fifty members or so of ours had never been involved in any organization before, um, and so the fact that at a time that we have he who shall not be named as president, the fact that we're bringing more businesses to get involved in the civic arena is something that should be applauded and explored rather than simply framed as the alternative to something else. I think we're just so much more than that, much more multifaceted. And 
And my thought was, and I still have, I'm fascinated by this question, mm-hmm. but I'll say what informed my view then is still what informs my view now and is why mm-hmm. I was excited then is why I'm excited now is why I will, uh, to the extent that I was curious or skeptical then, I remain curious and skeptical now. Uh, and less about important business alliance. And I don't know if this level of detail will get into. Yeah, yeah it, might, it might actually. So the. For people who aren't listening in Oregon, mm-hmm. the business the business association landscape, we've got our Portland Business Alliance, which is essentially our local chamber. We had the Associated Oregon Industries, which was essentially like, think old timber businesses, mm-hmm. like the, the mostly rural-based uh, industrial businesses that generally advocated for lower taxes, deregulation, and occasionally would work together with do-gooders on like lower energy prices. Mm-hmm. Okay, And then... What cropped up in the 80s or 90s was the uh, was uh, uh, the Oregon Business Association. That was actually in the early 2000s. 2001, maybe. Mm-hmm. Okay. What happened in the early 2000s mm-hmm. was uh, was the uh, Oregon Business Association, for which friends of ours worked. In fact, mm-hmm. friends of ours, supporters of ours, started, mm-hmm. and they made a really important choice. Mm-hmm. I thought it was a mistake. Where they, I still think it was a existential mistake. Mm-hmm where they define their organization as trying to find the center. Mm-hmm. And I remember talking to a friend of ours, Jay Hogenberg, who was another bus project guy. It was how you and I got a chance to meet each other. And he was working for OBA. And I said, and we were t- I, remember, I still remember, we were at the Standard Insurance Building at nighttime on the steps. And I said, here's a problem, Jake. If you have a business organization that defines itself as in the center, that business, or- if it identifies it as a point on some political spectrum, that it will end up being a center-right organization. Mm-hmm. It, it, it won't be able to avoid that. If it defines itself by a set of values and objectives mm-hmm. and it works towards those values and objectives, even if it looks around and realizes there's a bunch of lunatic fringe surrounding them or a mm-hmm. bunch of, you know, fluffy-hearted activists surrounding them, then they got a chance. Mm-hmm. The so and that's still something I'm really interested in is how do you make sure? How do you identify a true north mm-hmm. for your organization? And how do you move towards that true north as an organization. So I guess I'll turn that into a question. What do you see as the true north and how do you maintain it? Because what happened with OBA, for instance, was you had really good people who started it. Mm-hmm. And then they wanted to get bigger. Mm-hmm. And so they invited Walmart to be a member. Mm-hmm. And then after they invited Walmart to be a member, they started adding other members and looked at the soon they looked around and said, oh, this is really just the big Portland businesses. Mm-hmm. And now they merged with Associated Oregon Industries. And now it's a new organization. It's just the big businesses, mm-hmm. which I did think then and think now it creates an opportunity for you to fill mm-hmm. that void for business. Say, well, I don't know if I want to. Mm-hmm. I'm not the same business as Walmart. Mm-hmm. I, I, I don't only do my business because I just want to die with a coffin full of money. Mm-hmm. You know, I care about stuff and I want to be around other fluffy hearted do-gooders who also run businesses who care about stuff. Mm -hmm. How do you define that true north and how do you stick to it? Yeah, we've had a couple of um, interesting tests, I suppose. Uh, You can imagine that when you're starting an organization that is mostly comprised of companies that are paying you $200 per year, that if you want to have a staff, it's going to take a long time. And so we had to create a due structure that was um, fair to us as professionals while also being fair to the small businesses that we wanted to represent. And I'm not going to go into all the detail about our due structure, and you and I can geek out on that sometime because I think it's actually a really important part of the puzzle that but differentiates even the, us. Is it sort of tiered structure based on size of business? It, well, to a certain degree. Uh, but some of our largest dues-paying members are – smaller companies, they there is a point at which at $1,200, you don't have, you, you can be, um, Walmart 
and join at $1,200. But you can also be a four-person company that has um, the ability for personal reasons to join at the $10,000 level, and you can. And we don't sell board seats. Um, there is no quid pro quo. And uh, and that's not because we're being radical. It's just because we're just being really honest that we were formed specifically to advocate for the community because we know that we will not have a successful business if I'm living in an unhealthy community. Mm-hmm. I mean, I just got back from San Francisco and we got all of these reports. There were a hundred of us from Portland who went down to study, you know, what's happening East Bay, downtown San Francisco, on the peninsula. And without fail, everyone told us about all the great economic growth. But they were all drowning in super commuters and a Mad Max situation, you know, right outside their door. And so we have a responsibility as people who have access to privilege and power to do something that is, like you said earlier, enlightened self-interest, but... It's quite frankly, it's the thing that's going to keep our economy together over time. So um, I'd be happy to geek out with you somewhat offline or off the mic about the specifics of our dues, because I think that's our secret sauce, actually. For you, though, um, we know that businesses have a certain responsibility and members in your organization are heeding that call. But what are the limits of social business itself Mm. you know when Mm. does democracy or government have to solve for those larger issues Mm -hmm. what can't a business solve for Mm -hmm. well i would actually use this as an opportunity to tell you more about how i think um, government can help business to help them right so We have a situation in our state right now where in order to testify Mm -hmm. before the state legislature, you have to drive down to Salem and wait in a hearing room, and then you get three minutes to share your perspective um, in the committee. Or you get 15 minutes if you're going to meet with a legislator, right? Um, That predisposes who you're going to hear from. Right. So the ultimate, you know, what ultimately happens in that model is that our legislators hear time and time and time again from the same representatives of the same companies and the same lobbyists from the same associations. Right. Because that model can only be afforded by a certain type of company uh, or a certain type of association. Mm -hmm. And so I've said to people in Salem, if you don't, if you're really tired of the echo chamber and you're tired of hearing from those same business people over and over again, why don't you consider Mm -hmm. creating an option for uh, testimony over Skype? Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I uh, had an experience one Sunday morning when I was sick and I couldn't go to church and they, I really wanted to go that day because they were doing the, the outdoor concert, the um, summertime bluegrass um, version of, of church that day. Mm. And so I, um, lo and behold, they were on Facebook. Uh. And so I got to sing along to these fun 
sort of hymns turned bluegrass um, in the comfort of my own home. And that was the Episcopal Church. Mm. So the Episcopal Church was started at the time of Henry VIII. The Oregon State Legislature still does not have a way for its citizens and people who are really busy back in their home districts creating jobs, paying people's salaries, paying people's health care to participate in an efficient way that would allow them to use their voice as business owners. And so the way the system is currently constructed really predetermines the outcome in Mm. so many cases. And we're seeing that full front and center right now with the demise of the climate bill. So I just would uh, think that social business can only do so much. I can only I can only do so much with my organization. And at the end of the day, if my employee who has a restaurant Mm -hmm. can't take uh, ultimately six hours out of their day Mm -hmm. to get stuck in traffic, drive to Salem, sit around for a while, have a meeting, get stuck in traffic on the way back, they're probably not going to do it. Yeah. I mean, I, I have a, as most people do, placemats for my children that mm. have the capitals of each oh, state. Oh, yeah. And yeah. we're learning, and they're going, these are not cities that I necessarily uh-huh. recognize. <laughs> yeah. uh-huh. Jacksonville and, uh-huh. and you know, yeah. Olympia. Yeah. And you're right. There mm-hmm. is a disconnect between our urban centers and our urban cores and where a lot of the decisions are made. So mm-hmm. question for you. Um what other towns could do what you're doing? Mm-hmm. Yeah. We have heard from um, business owners in Bend, mm-hmm. Grants Pass, mm-hmm. and Medford and Eugene. Mm-hmm. And what I would love to see is chapters mm-hmm. of BFAB. Mm-hmm. Uh, BFAB, Medford, BFAB, Bend, uh, right? <laughs> um, because... To your point, Jefferson, what the Oregon Business Association did was they said, oh, we're going to start this thing and we need to be geographically diverse. So who do we know in such and such a county in eastern Oregon? Oh, let's choose that one large corporation out there in Boardman and let's choose that one large corporation in in Jackson County. And that's really not that much different than what, what had been before. I mean, we had the rejuvenations and Neil Kelly companies of the world and God love them. Uh, but the, I, I, I think that was, that was a fundamental error. You brought up the climate bill. Mm-hmm. When this airs, that will have been something that was in national news, mm-hmm. but won't be currently in national news. Mm-hmm. A little background, mm-hmm. essentially a cap and trade system, pricing carbon mm-hmm. to in concert to some degree with states to our North and South. Can I just interrupt you and say we didn't work on the climate bill? You didn't do anything on no, it? No, we couldn't. We, we, were, we were... How come? Um, we had to make a bit of a Sophie's Choice. Um, we saw that um, the Renew Oregon Coalition and um, Oregon Business Alliance for Climate had already formed by the time we were starting to create our organization. And... Uh, There are no business organizations that are actively working to address the upstream causes of homelessness. There are no business organizations that are working daily on transportation policy that's going to obviously have a, hopefully over time, a positive impact on on the climate crisis. Um, So we had to make a choice because the processes of civic engagement are incredibly cumbersome, as you know, 
And there were so many players already in the ecosystem that I didn't see an obvious niche for us. We thought that what we would be able to do is get busy on the things that we were working on. And then we would say, hey, members concerned also about the climate bill. We're going to direct you all over to the Oregon Business Alliance for Climate to get to work with them. But, you know, like I said earlier, these are business owners that are just drowning in day-to-day realities of running a company and asking them to involve get involved in housing, homelessness, transportation. You had to yeah. You had to prioritize. Yeah. When one of the challenges of getting business people to engage in politics is that politics is its own thing. It's similar to some things. It's similar to everything. It's different from everything. Mm-hmm. It itself is complicated. Mm-hmm. It itself has its own rhythm. I think about the meeting that Steve Jobs had with Barack Obama and afterwards said, oh, government is so slow. Mm-hmm. Reminded me of a l- baby version of that where I was talking to an early VC of Nike and he had an idea. And I said, okay, well, here's how, and I liked his idea. And I, similar, probably when I heard what you were talking about, I loved your idea. And here's what I thought, you know, the, my first thoughts about how, what I thought was going to be, things would have to be faced. And I, he told me his idea. I loved his idea. And I said, here's what I think we'd have to do. Well, we'd have to get the relevant committee on board. Mm-hmm. We'd have to get the, re- and I mean by that, the legislative committee. Mm-hmm. We should probably, probably talk to the committee chair. We should probably talk to a couple of advocacy groups we thought we could help. And I started laying out the plan. And after I finished, and I didn't give the whole thing. After I finished, I said, well, if they don't want to do it, if you don't yeah. want to do it, right. that's fine. We just won't do it. Right. I'm like, no, yeah. no, no. What you just heard was yes. I, I wasn't telling you no. That's right. yes. In, in democracy, yeah. Yeah. what yes means is a bunch of work to get a bunch of people right. to agree rather yeah. than yeah. it's in a VC pitch meeting where a yes right. means just writing a check and the, exactly. and the yes is done in that meeting. Yeah, that has been a huge part of the education for our members, right? Because just in the area of access to capital alone, like the lack of access to capital for women and minority entrepreneurs is just staggering. And the the implications at the community level are profound. And yet the average legislator or governor staff person is not at all aware of how their boss's political and social and economic justice objectives are inherently tied to whether or not those women or people of color can get access to capital to grow their businesses. And so it dawned on us not too long ago that, oh my gosh, we need to start an education campaign for the legislature. And there is no natural home for that organization. Like there is not an Oregon Environmental Council that saw 10 years ago that they needed to start Renew Oregon, which is now the organization that is, you know, moving that bill forward. It's, there's no, there's nowhere to, there's no home for that. And so it's and, 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 you know, if you're a business person, you don't have time for a 10 year campaign. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Rapid round. Ashley, this is the time in the interview in which we go through our rapid round. Um, we ask you a series of questions. You mm-hmm. answer as quickly as you can. Mm-hmm. So we're going to begin. What's a book that needs to be on our bookshelves? On your bookshelves. Mm-hmm. Well, um, one of the most inspiring books I ever read was uh, Refuge by Terry Tempest Williams. And uh, it was a, uh, I read it at a time that my father had died and uh, it was written by her at a time that her mother had died. And then she discovered she had cancer and um, just find it um, really um, strangely uplifting. Mm-hmm. What's a quote that will inspire people to live their values? Well, um, the nuns at my high school taught me that to whom much is given, much is expected. 
And that has really been the driving force for me for my life. They said the same thing to Spider-Man. <laughs> they did. Well, it was different, I think. Um, nah, we're all superheroes. We have the capacity for it. What's one thing that no one or very few people know about you? I have a scar above my lip that was caused by an owl scratch <laughs> from an owl that lived in Ken Kesey's barn. <laughs> that might be the best one yet. How, how did you interact <laughs> with this owl? I was a volunteer when I was in grad school at the Cascade Raptor Center. And I learned to care for injured and abandoned raptors, or not abandoned, injured and sick. And to fly on top of an owl. Uh, no, oh. I did not get to fly on top of an owl. Um, but uh, my boyfriend, who was a deadhead, was coming to visit. And so the head of the raptor center gave me the honor of returning these two owls, barn owls, that had been emaciated in uh, Ken Kesey's barn in Pleasant Hill outside of Eugene. And so she gave me the honors of returning the owls to their home. I'd been with her on several releases after you bring them in and get, you know, you wrap their wings and keep them for a few weeks and you feed them dead mice that you've cut up with scissors. Um, you eventually get to take them back to their home. Well, in this case, the home was his barn. And so uh, we got to go upstairs to the um, sh to this landing where we were going to let them go. And the, the key is you always have to keep both hands individually on one talon each so that you have these big, thick leather gloves so that their talons can't, because they can puncture your skin and, and go straight into a vein. And he, I let go with one hand and he just came up and got me. I'm lucky that I didn't get blinded. Yeah. What's a piece of advice that you would give to a business person who wants to have an impact, not only to better their own bottom line, but also to impact the world? I would say to ask questions about what is, uh, a way that they can be helpful, ask others that they respect, um, people who run nonprofit organizations or um, an elected official that they know to say, how can I most be helpful to you? I think oftentimes um, business people think that they know the best because they've been successful in business. And that's not necessarily what makes you successful in community. Mm -hmm. And so finding a way that your your contributions can be additive and complementary to ongoing initiatives rather than creating something yourself. Ashley, thank you. It's been such a pleasure to have you. Thank you, Noelle. Thanks so much for spending time on Better Money. Thanks also to Noelle Picaro-Brown, our producers Abalia Boyles and Ruth Eddy, and X-Ray FM in Portland, Oregon for the support of the show.